welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, a podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is episode 329 and on today's podcast, I talked to Professor Chris Williams, a historian at University College Cork, about his research into the 38th Welsh Division at the Battle of Mametz. Chris spoke to me in his office in Cork. Chris, welcome to the podcast in this hastily arranged interview in <laughs> wet Cork in late, uh, late early October 2023. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about your research interest, which is the Battle of Mametz in yeah. 1916, on the, just part of the Battle of the Somme. Yeah. Before we start, could you tell us about yourself yeah. and how you became interested in Mametz and probably the 38th Welsh Division? Sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is Chris Williams. I'm... Uh, I'm a professor at University College Cork. I'm a historian. My sort of day job is um, head of the College of Arts, Celtic Studies and Social Sciences. Uh, but I'm still researching and, act- and writing and teaching history. And I got interested in the First World War as a research topic many years ago now. Um, back in the 90s, uh, I was supervising a doctoral thesis by Angela Gaffney. She went on to publish a thesis on the commemoration of the First World War in Wales, uh, published that with University of Wales Press. And in supervising her work and in just really being a historian of late 19th, early 20th century Wales anyway, the First World War was of interest to me. But there was a sort of specific family connection as well, which was that my great-grandfather, my maternal great-grandfather, uh, served with the um, the eleventh South Wales Borderers, and uh, he would have been fifty three at the time of the uh, Battle of Mametz Wood, so well over the age. Um, and from what little we've been able to piece together about him, because he died before I was born, um, it seems that he volunteered in February nineteen fifteen, uh, shortly after getting the news that his eldest son had been wounded at Ypres. And he then served until he was invalided out in February 1918. And so, I mean, he was a private soldier, so there's very little detailed information on what actually he did, but um, there's no reason to suppose that he wasn't at the Battle of Mametz Wood in July 1916. So that was a kind of personal contact as well. So that I know, I I have I've had a similar journey journey with my with my grandfather being the uh, Battle of Gomancourt mm. uh, in July nineteen sixteen. So we're going to talk about the Battle of Metz. What is the Battle of Metz, and how does it fit into the wider battles of the Somme? Sure. So um, the the Battle of Metz Wood was an action that took place over about five days from the seventh until the twelfth of July. So it takes place, obviously, it starts six, six days after the, the opening day of the Somme Offensive. And in the early stages of the Somme Offensive, uh, British forces had taken some of the nearby villages, such as the village itself of Mametz, and they were, uh, I suppose, then pushing closer to the German second line, which was on a ridge just north of Mametz Wood. And it was decided by the high command that in order to prepare the ground for that assault on the German second line, really some of the intervening territory, such as Trones Wood, but also Mametz Wood, 
to its west needed to be taken. And the 38th Welsh Division, uh, which was commanded by uh, Major General uh, Sir Ivor Phillips, was tasked with taking Mamet's Wood. Um, now the 38th Welsh Division was a new army division, um, you know, it was composed primarily of very roughly Powell's battalions with kind of geographic uh, identifications such as Cardiff City, Ronther, Swansea, Carmarthen, Carnarvon and Anglesey and so on. Uh, organised into three brigades, 113-114-115. And um, Ivor Phillips uh, had been a regular soldier, but he had uh, he had retired in 1912. Uh, sorry, no, he had retired. He had retired in 1903, um, but then he had commanded the Pembrokeshire Yeomanry until 1912. He he was a member of Parliament and he was uh, some kind of friend of David Lloyd George and he was uh, initially uh, given command of a brigade and then promoted to be a divisional commander but uh, he probably was well out of his depth to be honest uh, in that role and so anyway the 38th Welsh Division uh, was brought up it hadn't seen action before it'd been in trenches in Neuve Chapelle but it'd seen no major offensive action so this was its first major battle and um, on the morning of the 7th of July, uh, the uh, 115 Brigade, uh, which uh, was tasked with, which is f uh, four battalions, which was tasked to attack the wood, attack the wood from the east. Now, um, the western approaches to the wood um, were well secured and the 17th Division was at that time being asked to attack the trenches and the western fringes of the wood. Um, unfortunately, the two attacks weren't really coordinated or synchronised, which meant that the German defenders had time to move troops across and also to you know, redirect machine gun and artillery fire on whichever was the nearest threat. So there were a number of assaults actually from the 7th to the 10th of July by the 17th Division on quadrangle support trench and on the western fringe of Mamet's Wood, none of which was successful. On the morning of the 7th of July, 115 Brigade was asked to attack um, the eastern side of Mamet's Wood. Um, the attack was scheduled for 8.30 in the morning, so it's bright, bright, sunshine, bright sunshine, daylight. Um, there was a 40-minute artillery barrage. There was no smoke screen laid down and basically the two battalions at the front of the assault, 11th South Wales Borderers and 16th Cardiff City Welsh, uh, went into open ground and they went into uh, machine gun fire, really, from the wood and from copses near the wood. And um, they didn't get to the wood. You know, they um, uh, probably the closest got, the men got was about 250 yards from the wood. I mean, you have different accounts really as to how close they got, but I think that's probably about accurate, 250, 250 yards. Um, there were a number of attempts made to restart that attack in the course of the day, none of which were successful. Uh, and eventually then, um, towards the, the late afternoon, the troops were withdrawn and they had uh, suffered a, a significant mauling, I think a hundred and 152 
dead, I think. Hold on a second, I'll just <laughs> I'll give you the um, the actual precise figures now. Um, yeah, sorry, 182 dead, 511 casualties in total. Um, so that that assault failed completely. It was a disaster, um, and undoubtedly must have been a harrowing experience for those soldiers who were exposed uh, to it. Um, so Mametswood remained at that point in German hands. Um, the next assault was meant to be a night assault on the night of the 8th and 9th of July. But for some reason, Ivor Phillips, as divisional commander, entrusted that to one platoon. And that platoon was late getting to the starting, the jumping off point because it was difficult to move through the trenches at night, etc., and the assault was cancelled. Um, and at that point then, Phillips was sacked as divisional commander. Uh, and he was replaced by um, Herbert Watts, Major General Herbert Edward Watts, who had commanded 7th Division. And Watts turns up on the morning of the 9th of July at divisional headquarters, and he says, OK, we're going to put in now a big assault from the south on the wood tomorrow morning. And that's going to be basically 113 and 114 brigades are going to go in. We're going to have um, a more sophisticated artillery barrage. We're going to have a smoke screen uh, and we're going to go in at 4.15 in the morning. So uh, before it's fully light. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and that's what happened. Um, uh, I mean, if you go to Mamet's Wood today, you can look over the ground where that assault went in and indeed where the assault of the 7th of July went in because it's farmland around the wood. The wood hasn't changed substantially. There's been no major building of, you know, uh, of towns and villages in that area. So it's still very much uh, as it might have appeared, I'm guessing, to the attackers uh, in July uh, 1916. Um, so... On the morning of the 10th of July, initially four battalions, and they were subsequently re reinforced by a further two battalions, attacked the wood. They had approximately 750 yards of open ground to cover uh, in the face of you know, machine gun fire and so on. I think the, the timing of the assault combined with the smokescreen would undoubtedly have helped them compared with the experiences of their um, 115 Brigade on the 7th of July and they get into the wood there's a bit of to and fro on the edge some of them are dr driven out by the defenders initially but they get back into the wood and they begin to sort of fight their way through the wood heading north the original plan was for the wood to be taken by 8.15 that morning um, and of course that, that doesn't happen it actually takes the best part of two days uh, to take the wood um, the wood uh, hadn't been maintained since the outbreak of the war so a lot of the paths were overgrown there'd been of course a fair bit of shelling of the wood so a lot of the trees had come down so the the landscape inside was very confused very challenging there were german entrenchments german bunkers um, once the welsh division got into the wood you know, it was very confused, um, difficult to know which direction you were heading sometimes. It was only the officers that had compasses. A number of the junior officers had already become casualties. 
so there was a mixing of different units and you know a great deal of confusion and it seems quite savage hand-to-hand close-quarter fighting um they make progress you know they do force the german defenders back uh, but by the end of the day although they're within touching distance of the northern edge of the wood there are still german defenders on the edge of the wood plus the german second line is not far to the north of the wood and so they withdraw a bit because they're just worried about getting cut off and surrounded by some kind of german counterattack during the night and then um but the battalions that have been involved in the attack on the 7th of July uh, joined the joined the fighting in the wood the following day and um, by the end of that day by the end of the 11th of July they've taken most of the wood but the Germans are still there but the Germans overnight decide to withdraw so by the morning of the 12th of July the Mametz wood is in British hands um, other tr- other divisions come in to relieve the 38th Welsh who are then taken out of the line and that's the only part they play in the Somme offensive they don't go over the top again until Pilkham Ridge in July 1917. So what impact does the battle have on the unit? I mean I was thinking about in terms of casualties but also in terms yeah. of folklore and tradition and those sort of the way that those sort of big engagements mm. sometimes shape sort of a, uh, I suppose a collective memory um, and, and it's sort of narrative around the, the unit and, and how they actually describe themselves. Yeah, I mean I think the um, the the experience of the battle was was harrowing and challenging for the unit. Um, a lot a number of senior officers uh, were lost, casualties were relatively uh, high and um, this had been a very difficult uh, first major action for a new army division. What also happens is that the division attracts a fair bit of criticism from Haig and from uh, Rawlinson um, and some notoriety for its performance, uh, some of which may be justified, but some of which I think was uh, probably rather unfair given the circumstances of the battle. So there appears to have been a belief that the attack on the 7th of July wasn't pressed with sufficient vigour. Um, which, looking at the objective evidence, I think is a difficult uh, position to sustain. Um, but you know, the fighting in the woods, um, again, you know, there's there's evidence that at uh, a point on the tenth of July, there was some kind of panic in the division, and some troops uh, sort of were routed out of the wood and had to be rounded up and returned. Um, Certainly there were comments from um, others close to the action that the division had been badly mauled or mishandled or that the action had been a disaster. Now, again, I think if you step back from the particular circumstances of the Somme in 1916 and you look at this action in comparison with other wood actions like Trones Wood, High Wood, Delville Wood, actually, you know, this, this was kind of what happened over and again in those circumstances. So um, the fact that the largest wood was taken over a period of two days of very intense fighting actually looks quite good in retrospect, but at the time it was seen as 
a, something of a delay uh, in terms of uh, an impeding British plans for launching an attack on the German second line. So the 38th got a kind of bit of a bad reputation um, for a while at least uh, with, um, with the high command. Um, and probably you know, didn't redeem itself in their eyes until July 1917 when it seems to have performed uh, very well uh, by conventional measurement in uh, the first third battle of Ypres. And what about the character of Ivor Phillips? Because it mm. sounds quite familiar to the 46th Division, where you get it, Stuart Worsley Montague, I'll probably call that, that, that mix up, where he sacks for not being aggressive enough. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, there's arguments that it's, it's, it's either he's an old man in the wrong mm. job or there's, there's court politics going on with Hague. But is Ivor Phillips really one of these people who's been placed in position because it's friend of Lloyd George's and he's just really not up to the job? I think that's true. You know, I mean, I, I, I looked at all the evidence when I was doing some research on this a while ago and uh, couldn't really find an argument you could make in favour of Ivor Phillips. Um, he was over-promoted. He was uh, well past his cell by date, frankly, as a senior officer. He had no experience. I know a lot of no, a lot of British senior officers didn't have experience of this kind of fighting, but he had no real experience. And um, he appears to have been a very passive divisional commander who simply seems to have passed on the orders he received to his brigades without, in a sense, challenging them or trying to contextualise them. Uh, and, you know, I thought there was an interesting, um, an interesting comparison with his... Uh, apologies, I just must uh, uh, remember the name now. I think it's uh, Pilcher. Um... um yeah so I think there's an interesting comparison between Ivor Phillips in charge of 38th Welsh Division who's on the south and the east of Mametswood with um, Major General uh, Pincher of the 17th Division who's on the, the western side and who he's also sacked Pilcher but eventually but he was the most experienced divisional commander in that sector at the time and he says to Corps Command, no, I'm not going to do that, you know. And afterwards, he justifies himself and says, even though I was sacked, he said, I'm happy that what I did saved the lives of two to 3,000 men that would have been wasted if I hadn't refused to do various things that I was being told to do. So Phillips is just a cipher for these, frankly, um, futile uh, orders that are coming from... Uh, Particularly around the, the the action on the seventh of July, you know, when I think these were these men were essentially being sacrificed through a very foolish plan. I mean, you could argue this is the very, I suppose, beginning of the ascent of the learning curve or learning process. Yeah. When when obviously the British Army is making a lot of these, you know, black addery type decisions. Yeah. Uh, people will cringe at that historical reference. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, it it is fascinating. Now, how is the a battle remembered and mm. what is mm. I suppose the legacy of that battle for the 38th Welsh Division yeah I think well it's that's a very interesting question because the the experience of Mamet, of Mamet's Wood and particularly the 38th Welsh Division's experience of Mamet's Wood has come to stand proxy I think in modern Wales for the experience of the First World War at some level in the sense that you know it can be presented as 
sort of rather naive, innocent Welsh soldiers, volunteers coming from the various constituent parts of the country who then end up being um, sacrificed uh, by a, you know, by uh, stupid English generals, really. And uh, now, you know, that is, uh, that's to distort very significantly the reality, you know, because, well, for one, there were quite a number of stupid Welsh officers around, Phillips being one of them. Um, and, uh, of course, quite a number of the soldiers in the 30th Welsh Division were probably not Welsh. Um, some of the work I did some years ago looked at uh, the soldiers died in the Great War records and looked at things like birthplace information um, to try and estimate you know, how Welsh many of these Welsh units were. And it, it varies quite a lot and it varies over the course of the war and it, it varies between territorial and regular and new army units. Um, but approximately two-thirds of those soldiers who were killed with the 38th Welsh Division in 1916 were Welsh-born. Um, now, a fair proportion of those who weren't probably were migrants into Wales in the decades before the First World War. Um, but, you know, there were Welsh soldiers in lots of other units in other divisions, and of course there were Welsh soldiers in sort of non-Welsh units like the Royal Engineers as well. Um, so it's become, uh, it's become a kind of symbol really in Wales of the sort of futility of the First World War and I think part of that as well is to do with the fact that the the site is is largely you know in a sort of pristine state you've got the wonderful um, David Peterson Welsh Dragon Memorial overlooking the wood um, there's quite a lot of you know literature Wynne Griffith uh, wrote about uh, Mamets for instance and, and became somebody who articulated the Welsh experience in terms of the Mets. David Jones, of course, a London Welshman. In parenthesis, he was uh, uh, experiencing the Mets as well. And these things have then reverberated. So you've had, you know, operas and plays and poetry and photography in Wales, all of which tends to focus on the Mets to the exclusion of many other aspects of Wales's involvement in the war. There's so much of, of the First World War focuses on the Somme. Exactly. And, yeah. um, uh, and everything else is forgotten. Yeah. And my final question is, what about Lloyd George? How did he, because he obviously had yeah. a connection with yeah. this unit, how did he take it and what was his sort of relationship with the formation after the Somme? Well, yeah, Lloyd George, of course, was critical to the formation of the 38th Welsh Division because... He'd put out that call initially for the formation of a Welsh Army Corps. Now, they never got to a corps level because you know, so many people already volunteered and were in other units and then recruiting kind of wilts a bit in 1915. But he was critical to the formation of the division and its identity. He's instrumental in commissioning a really interesting piece of uh, public art by the artist uh, Christopher Williams. No, no relation, I hasten to add. <laughs> but um, you know, an important sort of Welsh artist uh, from my stake in South Wales who goes out to um, the battlefield afterwards and talks to people and then produces this uh, impressive piece of work. Uh, well, you might say it's overblown, I think, by contemporary standards, but, you know, it was uh, quite a dramatic piece of work, um, the uh, the assault of the 38th Welsh Division at Mamets Wood, um, which is quite graphic, de de depiction of conflict. Um, after the after the uh, battle, um, to be honest, I don't know what Welsh Lloyd George's relationship was 
uh, with it. I suspect he had too many other things on his mind. But um, you know, the the the, the battalion does. Oh, sorry, the 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 division does redeem itself um, uh, effectively with um, its performance in 1917, and then again in in 1918, and uh, some military historians, so Gary Sheffield and uh, Peter Simkins, have said that it performed very, very well in 1918. You know, and and, and uh, although um, I was interested to see in Jonathan Boff's book that the Germans thought the 38th was just an average division. But <laughs> it's, you know, some of the work I did was looking at that, um, that Peter Simkins-led SHLM project information mm. about the 38th and its kind of performance, uh, which I think is, um, is interesting because um, you know, its, its record on the Somme clearly was not impressive if you use those uh, metrics. It, I think, succeeded in two out of seven actions and its, um, its casualty total was second lowest, actually. So, you know, this idea that the Welsh were sacrificed for English ideas is, is nonsense. Um, but if you look then, and then, you know, work, uh, the work of sort of Mark Cook is important here, if you look at its performance ground gained and its success rate in 17 and 18 is definitely much much better than it was in 16 you know um and uh, it's interesting that when the division was sent out to france the it was not anticipated that they would be ready to go into action in july 1916 you know it was thought they would need more months of training before they could go but i suppose the timing of the somme offensive and the need for more divisions necessitated their involvement and my final, final question is, where can people learn more about your work on the 38th Division? Well, I published um, an article in the Welsh History Review in 2017 on this. I also published an article in a book that I co-edited with Matthew Crago, uh, which is called Wales at War. And that is really looking at this, uh, this issue of the Welshness of so-called Welsh units during the First World War. So it was heavily based on interrogating the soldiers died in the Great War information and sort of contextualising that with all the stuff about Lloyd George and his, his importance in creating the 38th Welsh Division. On that bombshell, I say, Chris, <laughs> thank you very much for your That's time on this thank you. soggy yeah. autumn afternoon. <laughs> That's very great. Much indeed. Thank you. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>